Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. John chapter 14, and I'll read through the beginning of verse 17, verse 1 through the beginning of verse 17. And Jesus said, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Otherwise, believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who believes in me, the works that I shall do, he, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, And he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. We've been looking at the heart of Jesus. Now that he's been exalted into heaven, his heart toward us as we remain here below in this sinful and cursed world. And we have begun to see that the heart of Jesus in heaven for us remains the same as it has always been, his heart of love and great affection for us. And one of the ways that we see the continuing love of Jesus for us is in his promise of prayer given to us here in verse 13 and 14. He speaks of the future when he will depart from his disciples and return to his Father in heaven. He is leaving them, but he will not forget them. And he will not be unmindful of them when he ascends into glory. This is what he will be doing when he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He will always be looking for messages from his disciples below. 
He will be inclining his ear, ready to hear our prayers for all of our needs in this present life. There will be continuing love and fellowship between Jesus in heaven and his disciples here on earth. Daily and hourly and moment by moment experiences of love and fellowship between him and us. Our love toward him will be seen in our sending messages of prayer to him. And his love toward us will be seen in his willingness to hear and answer our prayers. In verse 13 and 14, we really have two promises of prayer. One is a repetition of the other. He repeats the promise of verse 13 in verse 14 with really very little change. And he does this for emphasis to give us assurance and to show us the certainty of his promise because Jesus knew how difficult it would be for us to believe in him answering our prayers. In verse 13, he says, And whatever you ask in my name, I will do it that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you do not believe me in just one promise, then I will tell you the same promise once again to show you the certainty of it. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. One of the difficulties with prayer is that we often, at least from our perspective, find our prayers seem not to be answered. There are reasons why prayers are not answered. We should be aware of some of those reasons. For example, we may ask for selfish and worldly reasons, prayers for worldly things that are not for our spiritual good. This is what James speaks of in James chapter 4 and verse 3. He says, You ask and you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. The psalmist said in Psalm 66 and verse 18, If I regard wickedness in my heart, if I hold on to sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Jesus said we must forgive others if we are to be heard by our Heavenly Father. Prayer must be made by faith. James said in James chapter 1, But let him ask in faith without any doubting, For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Perhaps the answers to our prayers have not been denied, but only delayed for a future answer. Our prayers are like the bowls of incense, the smoke of the incense before the throne of God. In Revelation chapter 8, the Lord will answer our prayers in due time, in his time. That's what happened with Abraham and Sarah. For decades they prayed over the promise of a son. And the promise was answered. The prayers were answered in the Lord's time, the appointed time. Sometimes we pray for things that are good and according to the will of God, but The answer is delayed as a testing of our faith. The Lord wants to prove the sincerity of our faith. And how much do we really want 
what we ask for. Sometimes our prayers are answered, but not in the specific way in which we asked. This is what happened to the Apostle Paul when he was given a thorn in the flesh. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he entreated the Lord three times that it might be taken from him. But the Lord answered him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. His prayer was answered. But not by removing the trial, but by giving him grace to endure the trial. Sometimes we ask for things that we really do not need and that are not for our highest good. In Mark chapter 10, James and John, they asked Jesus, Grant that we may sit in your glory, one on your right hand and one on your left. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking for. A very remarkable statement of Jesus, that sometimes he needs to say the same thing to us sometimes in our prayers. You do not know what you are asking for. It would not be for our good. So there may be any number of reasons why our prayers are not answered or seem not to be answered. It is a mystery to us. Sometimes we must simply submit ourselves into the sovereign will of God and say, not thy will, not my will, but thy will be done. Because God's thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are infinitely above our ways. And he must order all things according to the counsel of his will in his vast and eternal concerns of his kingdom. But we can always be sure that whatever things are needful for us on our pathway to heaven, those things will be supplied to us abundantly to ensure our perseverance to the end. That's what we saw this morning when we looked at these very broad promises of Jesus, these abundant, generous promises where he says in verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. If you ask anything in my name, that will I will do it. And so we must understand the promises here in the context in which Jesus gave them. And the context is from verse 3 that he is departing and going into heaven and he will return and take us, receive us to himself. And his great concern is that when he returns to receive us, that we are ready and we are prepared. So what he means is whatever you may need to be ready for my second coming. And anything you ask for this purpose, it will be freely and generously given to you. So you will be prepared on that great day. So as we continue to look at these two promises, they are both, they are evidences of the continuing love of Christ for us in heaven, that he is always inclined to hear our prayers and give us whatever we need and anything that we might ask. And so we want to continue to see, look at these prayers in the context in which they are given to help us to understand their true meaning. The first thing we say tonight is that prayer is for the comfort of troubled hearts. Prayer is for the comfort of troubled hearts. The disciples were in much sorrow this night as they heard the need, the news of Jesus' departure from them. 
Their sorrow would have been visible on their faces as they reclined about that table. And Jesus knew this, and that is why he said in the beginning of verse 1, he said, let not your hearts be troubled. And this was his desire and his great concern in everything that he said throughout this discourse. It was for the comfort, it was for the consolation of his disciples to relieve their sorrow and to take away the troubles of their hearts. But how would the trouble of his disciples' hearts be relieved once he was gone from them? And once he had departed back to the Father in heaven, how would his comfort and consolation still be communicated to them? The answer is found in the promises of prayer in verse 13 and 14. We come to him with whatever troubles our hearts and anything that is a burden upon us, we may cast our cares upon him, and then in verse 16, he will take our troubles to the Father, and he will ask the Father for another helper, a comforter, and the Holy Spirit will come to us, and he will give us his comfort and consolation to us. And this is what we find throughout the scripture, that God has always relieved the troubles of his people's hearts through prayer. We see this with Hannah when she went up to the tabernacle. The Bible tells us that she was greatly distressed and she prayed to the Lord and she wept bitterly and the Lord heard her prayer. David speaks of this often in the Psalms. Psalm 34 and verse 7, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles Psalm 55 and verse 22, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. Psalm 62, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And the apostles speak of this very same thing in the New Testament. Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 4 and he said, be anxious for nothing. He meant, let not your heart be troubled over anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. So do we have any heavy burden that lies upon our hearts this night? This is what we should do, what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, casting all of your anxiety upon him, knowing that he cares for you. This is what Jesus is speaking of here in these promises of prayer. In verse 1, he says, let not your heart be troubled. How? How will the consolation come to us? How will the comfort be given to us? We go to him in prayer in verses 13 and 14. And whatever trouble we may have, we may bring it to him and ask him in his name to relieve it. And he will do it. If you ask anything, any consolation that you need in my name, I will do it. I will ask the Father 
and he will give you another comforter who will be in you and will be with you forever. So prayer, the promises of prayer here, they are given as a means to relieve the troubled hearts of his disciples, and they are evidences of the continuing love and comfort of Christ to us from heaven. A second thing we can say is that faith and prayer always go together. Back in verse 1, Jesus exhorted his disciples to faith. He said to them in verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. And then he said, Believe in God, believe also in me. He meant if you truly believe in God, then you will also believe in me as well, because I am one with the Father. But how is the faith of verse 1 seen? It is seen in the prayers in verse 13 and 14. Faith is inseparable from prayer. Faith is always seen in prayer. If we truly believe in God, if we truly believe in the Lord Jesus, then we will be men and women of prayer. Prayer is like breathing to a believer. Our bodies cannot live without breathing. Our souls cannot live without prayer. Faith and prayer are always together. Faith and prayer feed on one another. As faith increases, prayer increases as well. And increased prayer brings increased faith. Faith and prayer always working together until the end of life. And when the end comes and we see Jesus face to face, then faith will be turned to sight and prayer will be turned into praise forever. A third thing that we can say is that prayer must be to the glory of God. We've seen how broad the promises are in verse 13, whatever you ask in my name. Verse 14, if you ask anything in my name. The promises are very generous and broad, but they must be according to the glory of God. This is what he says in verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, yes, I will do it. Whatever it may be, but it must be for this purpose that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That the Father may be glorified in the great work of his beloved Son. So the promise is for whatever may bring glory to the Father and also glory to the Son, whatever you may ask for the advancement of his kingdom. Not whatever you may ask for the advancement of your own kingdom or your own interests on earth, but the advancement of his kingdom and his glory for the salvation of my people. Whatever you may ask, anything that you may ask for the good of his church, For the honor of God's name in the earth, I will do these things, he says, whatever they may be, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
Paul said to the Corinthians, whether then you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so surely prayer must always be to the glory of God, to the honor of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Paul said to the Ephesians at the end of chapter 3. When he prayed, he said to him, to the Father, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Prayer must be to the glory of God and the glory of the Son. Whatever, anything, whatever you ask, anything in my name for that great end. In the fourth place, we may say tonight that prayer is for the spiritual growth, is for spiritual growth and progress in the Christian life. Thomas asked his question back in verse 5 that we just read. Jesus gave his famous answer in verse 6, and then he continued to answer Thomas in verse 7. He said, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. A gentle rebuke to Thomas that he had not known things as he should have known. If he had known Jesus as he should have, he would have known the Father also. But then in the second half of the verse, he promises, Jesus promises that there will be progress in Thomas's understanding. He says, from now on, you know him and have seen him. From now on, things that you did not know in the past, you shall come to know them in the future. When my spirit, the spirit of truth, will come to you and he will teach you all things. Thomas was a true believer. But like the other disciples and like other believers, there were things that he did not grasp at first, but he would come to see them more clearly later. He will come to know things that he had not known before. That's what Jesus is explaining in verse 7. From now on, from this time forward, henceforth you will know him, the Father, and have seen him. There is spiritual growth and progress in the Christian life. But how does this growth and progress come to us? How is it made known to us? The answer is, again, in regard to the, his answers to prayer in verse 13 and 14. Jesus hears our prayers, and one of the chief ways in which he answers our prayers, one of the chief ways in which we make progress in the Christian life is by his answer of prayer to us, by sending to us the Spirit of truth who is able to teach us and bring light and understanding to our minds. Now, we know how confused the disciples were on this night. And how many misunderstandings they had concerning Jesus and his kingdom as they spoke on this night. We see it in the questions that are being asked here in verse 5. And then Philip's question again down in verse 8. Jesus has to say, have you been so long with me and you have not come to know me, Philip? And we know from other passages the misunderstandings of the disciples The question is, how will these misunderstandings be removed? 
And how will these cobwebs of confusion be taken out of their mind and they will come to know the truth? The answer is found in the promise of Jesus in prayer. Prayer is the means by which Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, continues to be our teacher. Whatever you ask, whatever you may be confused over, and anything that you ask me, any trouble, doubt, any misunderstanding that you may bring to me, I will do it. I will send the Spirit. I will ask the Father, and he will send you the Spirit of truth who will give you light and understanding. Whatever misunderstanding you may have, and anything needful that you need for me to teach to you, come and ask, and I will do it for you. And so this is evidence of his continuing love to us, that he is still our teacher in heaven, in the midst of our confusion and our sometimes remaining darkness of our minds, not understanding things as we should. We may always come to him with these needs. Are there things that you do not understand in the Bible tonight? You may go to him and ask him to teach you whatever and anything that is needful. We find this often in the letters of the apostles. Paul prayed for the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17, that the Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray, he said, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened and that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And Paul wrote to the Colossians in chapter 1, and he said, I have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So this is why these promises of prayer were given to the disciples on this last night, so that they would be the means of their spiritual growth and understanding in the Christian life, to be pleasing to him in every way. A fifth thing that we see in this passage is that prayer proves the deity of Jesus. Prayer proves here the deity of Jesus. Philip asked his question in verse 8, show us the Father. Jesus went on in the following verses to argue his deity, his equality with the Father. In verse 11, he says, believe me that I am in the Father. Believe me on the basis of my words. Believe in my deity and my union with the Father in the one God. But then he says, if you cannot believe by my word, then he offers here his works as a confirmation of his deity. At the end of verse 11, he says, otherwise believe on account of the works themselves. The works that I have done, he means, in my public ministry. And Jesus did many great miracles that proved his divine nature. 
But then in verse 12, even though Jesus had done so many great things, he promises that his disciples will do even greater works than his. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do because I go to the Father. This promise was especially fulfilled by the apostles in the book of Acts. They did many physical miracles of healing, but the greatest of all miracles is conversion, the gospel becoming the power of God to salvation. And this is what we see with the apostles. 3,000 were saved by one sermon in one day on the day of Pentecost. And then the gospel spread from Jerusalem. Thousands more were saved in that city. And then from Jerusalem, the gospel went out to Judea and Samaria, to the remotest part of the earth. And we read in Acts chapter 11, the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. But this continues to take place. And the promise here continues to be fulfilled through the witness of the church and the preaching of the gospel as it goes to all the nations today. And this, this is the greater works that you shall do is in the life of the church all of these many hundreds of years, the gospel shall go to the ends of the earth. But where does all the power of this spread of the gospel and salvation come from? It does not come from men, it comes from our Lord Jesus Christ. As he says at the end of the verse, because I go to the Father. Because I take my throne in heaven. With all power and authority in heaven and earth given to me. Because I will go to the Father and I will be exalted as the head over all things to the church. And I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. This is the greater work that the church will do because of the power that is given to our Lord Jesus, because I go to the Father, he says. The disciples had known the power of Jesus for the last three and a half years. And now they hear of his departure from them, and they thought his departure meant that he would take his power from them. Jesus says, no, I will not take my power from you. You shall do even greater works than have ever been done before. And this has been fulfilled in the life of the church through all of these many years. But how is it fulfilled? By the answer to prayer. As he says now immediately after the promise in verses 13 and 14. You will do greater works than these because I go to the Father and you will pray. And whatever you ask for this purpose, I will do it. And if you ask anything for the spread of the gospel and for the kingdom of God, I will do it, he promises. He will send out his disciples with the Great Commission. Go into all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
But all of this takes place only by the prayers of the church. Whatever you may ask in my name, in obedience to the Great Commission, that will I do. And if you ask me anything in my name, anything that you need for the spread of the gospel, I will do it. And so, by these prayers of Jesus, that he will answer, he will prove his deity to his disciples on earth. That's what he's been arguing in verses 11 and 12, that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. He is, he is arguing his deity, and his deity will be proved by his answering the prayers of his church in the building of his church in every generation and to the very ends of the earth. The kingdom of Jesus is an everlasting kingdom that shall not come to an end. Men have tried to destroy his kingdom for 2,000 years. Kings have come seeking to crush his kingdom, but his kingdom continues, and it continues in every nation, in every tribe, in every tongue and people. And he is the head over all things to that church. And who can do such a great work as this? But he who is God himself. His deity is proven by his answer to the prayers for the spread of his kingdom. We notice in both verses, he says, I will do it. Verse 13, he says, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. In verse 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. This is what we may call one of the divine I wills of God. When God speaks in the Bible and he says, I will do something, there is infinite power, omnipotence behind his I wills. There is certainty, there is surety that he will fulfill his word, and there is nothing that can stop one of his I wills, and that's the way Jesus speaks here in this promise. Whatever you may ask in my name, for the glory of my Father and myself, and for the spread of my kingdom, I will accomplish it, and I will give you anything that you may truly need. This is the way God speaks in the Bible. I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Isaiah 46 and verse 10. Truly I have spoken. Truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely I will do it. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 39. He does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say what has Thou done. It is one thing to say, I will do something. It is quite another thing to have all the power to accomplish it. And that's what Jesus is saying here. I will do it. I will hear the answer. I will hear the prayers of my saints. And I will do it. And I will build my church. And I will continue my great kingdom. Whatever danger his church may be in, she will never perish. 
however impossible her deliverance may seem to be in times of great trial, she will press forward and she will never come to an end. Whatever you may ask, however difficult it may be, I have divine power given to me and I will do it. This is one of the divine I wills of the scripture. So Jesus began in this chapter, this upper room discourse with these promises of prayer in verses 13 and 14. He did not simply drop these promises out of thin air with no connection to the things that surround them, but everything that surrounds his words here are connected and in need of the prayers, the promise of the prayers that he makes to us here in verse 13 and 14 and shows us how important prayer is to us and to the kingdom of God. He begins the upper room discourse with these promises of prayer. Then he closes the discourse with two other promises of prayer. And they're found in chapter 16, verse 23 and 24. And we'll close our time tonight with our last point, which is that prayer brings joy to us as believers. Prayer brings joy from heaven to us. We read verse 23, 22, chapter 16. Jesus said, therefore, you too now have sorrow, but I, I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one takes your joy away from you. And in that day, you will ask me no question. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you shall ask the Father for anything, he will give it to you in my name. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name, ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. In verse 22, Jesus speaks of the sorrow of his disciples at the news of his departure. They will see him crucified. They will see him laid in the tomb, dead. But then he will be raised from the dead and he will live again and they will rejoice at his resurrection and no one will be able to take their joy away from them. Then in verse 30, 23, he says, And in that day when I am exalted back into heaven on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, then you will ask me no question because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, he will come and give you so much understanding and take away so much darkness. And then Jesus gives a promise that the Father will answer their prayers. Verse 23 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if you shall ask the Father for anything, he will give it to you in my name. Once again, in my name, by the mediation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is in glory. The Father is well pleased to hear the prayers of his people in the name of Jesus. And then he says in verse 24, Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. What he means is, that I have not yet finished my work of salvation, shed my blood upon the cross as the way of entrance into heaven, 
the opening up of that veil into the holy place of God. And so my work has not yet been done and you have not known my mediation with the Father. You have not yet asked for anything in my name, but when I am ascended back into heaven, then he says, ask, ask, and it will ask, and you will receive that your joy may be made full. The specific answer to our prayers is that our joy will be made full. The believer knows joy in this present life. In answer to prayer in this verse. It is a supernatural joy that we speak of. It is a joy that comes from heaven. From the Father, from Jesus Christ, and by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 15 in verse 11, he said, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So we speak here of Jesus' joy as he ascends back into heaven. He will send his joy to us. Not an empty and fleeting and earthly joy, but a heavenly joy, real and powerful, lasting, and a joy that fills the soul. Jesus turns their sorrow here into fullness of joy. And it is over the resurrection of Christ in this context. Joy over the resurrection. That Jesus Christ is no longer dead in a tomb, but Jesus is raised, and everything that his resurrection means to us brings joy. Joy that his sacrifice has been accepted that the Father has raised him from the dead because our sins have been cleansed and forgiven by his blood upon the cross. There is no condemnation for us anymore. There is peace that we have with the Father. Joy over the forgiveness of our sins. Joy that death has been conquered in the resurrection of Jesus. Death has come to its end in his resurrection for all who believe. His resurrection is the first fruits, the guarantee of our resurrection as well. That great enemy of death has been conquered by our Lord Jesus. There is joy for us as Christians. We may pass through death and then we come immediately into life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, he shall live. He shall live even if he dies. And he shall depart and go and be with Jesus. His resurrection is the proof of what he has promised back in chapter 14 and verses 2 and 3. I go to the Father. I prepare a place for you. There are many mansions there. I will prepare a place for you. And then I will come again. And I will receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. There is joy for the Christian in this present life. It is true that we have tribulation And we have distresses in the present life. But in Jesus, 
we have a true and solid joy that cannot be taken from us. It is not that Jesus said to us, in this life you have tribulation, but in the life to come you will have joy. As if all the joy of Jesus was saved only for the world to come. No, that is not what he says. He says, in this life you have tribulation, yes. But in the midst of your tribulations, you will still have joy. You will pray and I will send you and my Father will send you by the Holy Spirit this true and great joy that will come to you over all that I have accomplished for you and the eternal life that awaits you. So he has great concern for our joy in this present life. What an amazing thing that is. It is not all reserved for the world to come. We have small foretastes of it right now. The little streams we taste now, we shall taste more fully above. And he sends to us this joy in answer to our prayers to prepare us for that glorious, eternal joy that we shall enter in the end. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1. He said, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, though you do not see him now, because he has been exalted back into glory, but you believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So there is this joy that comes to us in answer to our prayers. Let us pray that we may receive this joy and our joy may be made full. I close with one thought tonight. For any who do not know the Lord Jesus, and this is the great truth, and it is that the ways and the sins of this world will bring you only sorrow, sadness, and death in the end. It is true that the ways of sin have a pleasure and a joy in them, But that pleasure and joy is only fleeting and temporal and deceptive. And it always brings us to sorrow and and grief and sadness. And if you continue to walk in the ways of the world and in the sins of this evil world, then your sins will bring you eternal sorrow and death. But there is a way of true and lasting joy even now, the joy of sin forgiven, the joy of peace with God, the joy of eternal life and the hope of the world to come, the joy of being set free from the powers of sin and the guilt of sin, an eternal joy that can only be found in Jesus. And we have been talking about prayer all night. What must you do? You must pray to him for this salvation. You must call upon the name of the Lord for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will not be disappointed. 
Whoever calls upon him in sincerity will find him and find Jesus to be the Savior. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for his precious word, his promises to us, that whatever we may ask, he will give it to us. And if we ask anything in his name, he will do it. Thank you that all that we need to be ready for your great return will be so freely given to us. You have cleansed us, purchased us, in your blood upon the cross. And now you will continue to give us all things that we need. Lord, help us, bless us, give us grace and continued help from heaven and be at work in every heart and especially those who do not know you. May they come to find Jesus as the only Savior. We ask our Father, hear us now tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.